Hi everyone and welcome to Take 10 for a turn number 860. I hope you all are well. Any questions, comments, suggestions, recommendations, or sponsorships, please email me at rabbiismach at taketeenforatorog.org. Today, we continue with part two of our repeated Pesach series. So yesterday in part one, we talked about some of the basics of understanding how chametz is made, and thereby some of the issues which come up, and some of the controversies, like kidneyos and gebrakts and matzah ashira, some of those things we discussed yesterday. But today, I want to get to the actual cleaning for Pesach itself. As always, and I think I'm going to be adding this uh, to every class, if you have any questions, you can always email me at rabbi at yign.org if you get the emails directly from the shul and you reply to those. Those don't come to me, they go to somebody else and then they have to be sent to me. So it's probably more efficient and easier if you just email rabbi at yign.org. Okay, so the Torah talks about two different types of chametz. It talks about chametz and sa'or. So to explain what this means, chametz is edible chametz, leavened bread. Bread, or any sort of flour and water mixture of the five grains, of course, which went through the leavening process and went through the chemical process that made it rise past the point of acceptability. Now, to be clear, and we'll get to this a different class, but matzah can technically be a little bit of a thickness. You know, we make sure it's super thin. We make sure that every matzah is cooked in like two minutes, but you do have a little bit more leeway, but we're very stringent when it comes to how we make our matzahs. But there is a point of no return, a point of where something is called chametz, it is edible, leaven, and it is no good for Pesach. That's chametz, and that, of course, is what you can't eat, you can't own, you can't derive benefit from. The Torah also talks about something called sa'or. Sa'or is uh, sourdough, and what that means, halachically, is that's referring to something which is not generally edible, not the type of thing that somebody would sit down and eat, at least a human, but it is edible by animals, it's technically edible. It would be used as a catalyst, it would be used to add um, a, a leavening agent or as a leavening agent to speed up the leavening of a larger piece of dough. You would put it in the dough and it would react with the dough in a way where it would rise quicker, it would rise larger, and that would be a sa'or. The Torah prohibits both equally whether it comes to eating or owning or deriving benefit, no matter what. Both are prohibited, chametz and sa'or. So those two aren't so significant. The third category is really significant. That's the third category the Torah does not discuss. And that's the category of chametz, which is nifsal me'achila kelev, which is disqualified from even a dog eating it. It's not like a serious qualification process to be something that a dog will eat. Dogs will eat most things, unless it's rendered entirely inedible. Now, what's an example of something which is rendered inedible. So, you know, painted macaroni is part of a picture frame. You know, it's totally painted. It's it's macaroni, it's chametz, it was chametz, but then it was painted and no dog's going to go sniffing at your picture frame and decide, hey, this looks delicious. And therefore, it's nifsal me'achilas kala. Functionally, a dog will not eat it. It is not a chametz problem. If you have food of that level, you have nothing to worry about. Now, we're going to get back to the discussion about what about cosmetics and things like that. Dogs are not eating cosmetics, whether or not there's alcohol in them or there's uh, any sort of chametz in them. So why are there people who are concerned about that? That we'll probably get to in tomorrow's class. But that's the third category. And if you know something is in that category of nifsami achilas kalaf, no dog's going to eat it. It is not a Pesach problem. Forget it. Ignore it. It doesn't matter. You don't have to touch it, touch it, think about it. You don't have to sell it. You don't have to do anything. It's yours. Enjoy it over Pesach. Okay. Those are the categories. Now, what do we do? What is cleaning for Pesach? Cleaning for Pesach is really, as I mentioned yesterday, an extended process of bedikat chametz. We know there's an obligation to search for and beer, destroy your chametz. It's a search and destroy mission. It's discussed in the very beginning of Meseches Psachem. 
Not only that is there an obligation to search and destroy on the night before Pesach, but there's also an obligation to nullify our chametz. So we do this in a very redundant way. We nullify our chametz before uh, the day of, before Pesach, meaning at night before Pesach, and also again at the day of Pesach. Hopefully we'll have time to discuss why we do it twice. And we also do the bidika, the search, which what we find, we take and we burn. Okay? So now, first of all, just the structure of the bidika. You know, the reason we do this on the night before is to make sure it's uniform, uh, that everybody does it, everybody remembers to do it, we make a big deal about it. The reason we use a flashlight, we do it in the dark, is because uh, dark churin uh, ustakin, as the Gemara calls them, the cracks and the crevices in a person's home actually are more visible and more easy to see when it comes to, um, when it comes to nighttime because it becomes more visible in the contrast with the artificial light. And so that's B'dikat Chametz. In addition to the B'dika, we are also going to go and do Bittel Chametz. We're going to nullify our ownership of the Chametz. We're going to nullify the ownership, uh, or I should say the Chametz itself, as far as we're concerned. Now what that essentially does is that makes it that Tashpisu is uh, fulfilled. Tashpisu means remove. It's removed. It's not mine. It's somebody else's. I don't have to do it. Why do we do both of these processes? So the answer is pretty simple. You know, even though, um, as we addressed in a class last week, uh, it's unprecedented. There's nothing like this where we go, so to speak, so crazy to remove uh, and to prohibit something, any sort of material. And we give one reason, and I'd like to get back to other reasons for why that is. But, okay, we go very crazy. Why do we go so crazy? Why do we do the search and destroy in addition to the nullification? So the truth is, Either one of them would be insufficient. On the one hand, if I just do bittle and I declare it null, technically, it's not mine. And if it's not mine, I have nothing to worry about. I don't think to be concerned about. Except if I happen to bump into a donut on my countertop on Pesach, there's a great likelihood that I'm going to eat it. And so I need to actually um, practically uh, remove the chametz from my possession so that I don't run into such problems. That's A. B, you know, nullification requires an actual sense of, you know, meaning it. I got to mean the nullification. And so if I have an 18-year-old bottle of scotch that's very precious to me, I spent a lot of money on, and I say it's like the dust of the earth, is that meaningful? Like, did, did, did I actually say anything there that I meant? And because of those reasons, bittel is not enough. Now, why isn't bedika enough? If I'm going to search and destroy, so why isn't enough? Why isn't it enough if I just do the bedika? Why do I also have to do bittel? So on the other side, of course, the problem is I'll say I do bedika, and I didn't do a good enough job. I didn't do a good enough job, and then there's chametz all over the house. It's still my chametz. I still own the chametz. So without bittel, I technically own chametz over Pesach, which is obviously going to be problematic. And so we do both bedika and we both and we do bittel as well. So when we talk about bedika chametz, when we talk about I'm searching for chametz, I got to make sure. I have no chametz in my home, which is really an extension, of course, of B'dikah chametz extends throughout the month before Pesach, of cleaning for Pesach. It's really the same idea. What am I searching for? That's the important question. Because what am I busy with if I'm in the bedroom looking for chametz? What am I looking for? So the answer is maybe not what you think. Um, B'dikah chametz, the prohibition of owning chametz, that B'dikah is attempting to overcome really only refers to chametz, which is a kezayit large. A kezayit is like the size of an olive. If it's less than the size of an olive, there isn't really an ownership problem. So let's talk about for a moment what that means. I have a little crumb that fell off of a cookie that I ate one night before I went to bed, and it fell like into the recesses of the carpet, where the carpet uh, abuts the wall. So now, 
uh, am I looking for that crumb? The answer is no. Now, if over the course of a lot of time, I've dropped many, many crumbs there because I have a cookie before I go to sleep every single night, and altogether, there might be enough crumbs that if gathered, there would be a kazayat worth of crumbs, then yeah, then I have to look for that. That might be something of substance, something of consequence that I am obligated to look for and make sure I do not own. But I'm not looking for tiny little crumbs. If there is chametz on my ceiling fan, somehow, or there's chametz on the window shade, and some little molecule wafted onto the window shade, and I feel like I need to clean the window shades for Pesach, do not confuse that with the search of chametz. There is no way you have a kazayat of chametz on your ceiling fan. There's no way you have a kazayat of chametz on your window shades. Many of the things that we do in order to clean for chametz in bedrooms and in rooms where food is not eaten, I'll get back to that in a moment, is all, uh, or much of it is unnecessary. Even if you believe that, that to be stringent, you want to make sure that you're checking for even smaller crumbs, crumbs that are less than a kazayat, you have to think about another factor. You know, if it's little dirty stuff which went in between the crevices of your wood flooring, I mean, that's nifsal achilas kelab. That's not something, that's going to be little dirty crumbs. Nobody cares about those. It's not really considered food anymore. So for all of those reasons, the fact that it's uh, less than the proper size and also the fact that it might be dirty and disgusting and nothing, nobody, no animal even would eat it, those uh, factors make it that you don't really have to be looking for that stuff. So the amount of cleaning for Pesach, actual B'dika comments that you need to do in a bedroom is not necessarily that great. Now, you might have problems in certain places. You might have an issue where, you know, you have packaged food that, uh, you know, you put something, you saved it for later, and it's in your, in, in your uh, I don't know, night table, or a package of something that you put in your pocket or your coat pocket, and that'll be an actual kazayat. That'll be the right amount. And there you might have a problem. And, and so you have to be thoughtful about where those things might be so that you can realistically consider, am I looking for actual chametz and where I should be looking for that actual chametz. One place where there always is a kazayas of chametz is your vacuum cleaner bag. Right, your vacuum cleaner bag will have the collection of all the chametz that you had in the house. Yeah, it might be dirty, but maybe the dog would take a, take a spin at the vacuum cleaner bag if it was hungry enough. There might be enough actionable chametz so that, you know, it could be eaten. So that's something that has to be removed and has to be gotten rid of before Pesach. Tomorrow we'll discuss situations where I have to look a lot harder. Have a great day.